When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Welcome to Rewind to Raw. John Pollock waiting with you here on Monday night, June the 29th, going into June 30th, the final day of the month. We're halfway through 2020. It's just breezed by way. Just feels like yesterday. It was New Year's. <laughs> Doesn't it? Like what a, what a year it's been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, counting down the days, honestly, at this point. And uh, June has sucked. June has sucked. I think a lot of people could say 2020 has sucked. I don't know if it's just exclusive to the last 30 days. I feel like June especially, though. You know? Like, especially yeah. June. Yeah, so I mean, much if, if, if you want to look like just in the bubble of pro wrestling, I mean, just, just think about all that's happened in the past 30 days. It's mm-hmm. You know, I was I was listening to a show, and they were bringing up the fact that the U.S. election is five months away. And that doesn't sound like a crazy amount of time until you go back and think where we were five months ago at the end of January compared to now of how long five months is. It's like God knows where the world will be by the time uh, Americans go to vote in November. For sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's nothing you can do, though, but, you know, go through it. So there you go. That's our review of 2020. <laughs> Not good. Thumbs down. Uh, but hey, we've got the next six months to maybe make up for the first six. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. But tonight, we have lots of news to go through. We have a, a three-hour edition of Raw uh, that felt like 10. And your feedback, questions, what's coming up this week on the site? This is going to be a fun edition of Rewind to Raw. I promise. You promise? Okay. I'm going to hold you to that. Well, I don't have fun I, by the end of it. I mean, I want my money I'll re- back. I'll refund everyone's money. All right. Okay. Did you have a good weekend? Uh, weekend was good. Yeah, weekend was good. I mean, I think, you know, in Toronto, we have officially moved into phase two. So patios are now open. Yep. Um, I've yet to take part myself. But, you know, I am still, like, slowly, I think, acclimating to going back out and, like, for instance, meeting friends at, at a park. Uh, and socially distancing while, you know, interacting, uh, just things like that. So slowly moving back into what, you know, at least partial civilization. Yeah, it's, um, I have not done any like a uh, meeting with, uh, like friends or anything like that, but that seems to be kind of where people are on the cusp of, or have engaged in. I mean, I- I've walked by like different, uh, bars where it's like there, there's people meeting and, you know, you're you're starting to see places, uh, I think, more, more aggressive when it comes to uh, reopening and also being cautious. Like a lot of the places that I've seen, it's not like they're just being uh, totally reckless either. I'm sure there's examples of such, but a lot that I've seen, you know, you have squares on the ground for people to line up at. You can certainly see uh, efforts made to try and meet in the middle because this is the collision of of health and economic factors. That's what the whole period is for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think as the weeks progress, um, you know, it, and as long as the numbers keep going down for us here in Ontario, um, you know, I can, I definitely see people getting more and more comfortable, but you know, it's weird. Like 
for the first time in like three and a half months, for instance, seeing, you know, a friend at a park and it's, you know, we don't handshake anymore. Um, but it's, it's weird, but you know, it's, it's necessary. Um, but I'm sure. So what did you do? Did you just common. talk like from a distance? Did you like yeah. uh, text back and forth? Oh. No, none of that. I mean, just you know, pretty much like you know, like hanging out as usual. But like, um, what did they say? Two meters apart. Oh, doing your best to stay two meters apart. But yeah. So before I I don't want to forget about this, but um, I unexpectedly got to listen to my university reunion on the weekend with. The Geek Top 5. Can you tell us, Way, about this big appearance that you did? You listened to it. How much did you listen to? I didn't get in too far. Like, dude, X-Men is not my jam, but I, I listened to, like, the first 15 minutes. Okay. Well... Reacclimate uh, myself. I, 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 it's funny because people that will listen to this uh, will be obviously familiar with Way. And then if they're familiar with anybody else, it would be... What's this guy's name? The, the, the Marvel writer that was on with you guys. Jim Zub. Okay, so he would be the one, and he would be the least of the people on this podcast that I would be aware of, because it's the other ones that I know very well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, over the weekend, I was invited to join my friends, uh, my former classmates podcast. They host a show called Geek Top 5. And for this particular show, a former classmate of ours, Graham and Jesse, they invited me on to take part in their X-Men fantasy draft. And uh, I'm a huge X-Men fan. So the chance to go on and talk about uh, which X-Men we would each draft in a potential MCU reboot of the X-Men was a lot of fun. Little did I know that another guest would be Jim Zub, who is a writer. And I'm almost ashamed because I'm I'm really handing him my geek card at this point because I was not familiar with Jim. You know, like I, I haven't really read comics in really a long time, at least X-Men comics, but... Did you, know, you have to study before this show? Uh, very little, very little. Okay. I mean, I do have a familiarity, you know, with the X-Men, so didn't need to, like, you know, really study. But then, man, like, I always thought I was a geek, but God, like, <laughs> and I mean this in the most complimentary way, I, I'm honestly intimidated, like, when I, you know, try to, like, match my geekdom with people like Graham and Jesse, and especially somebody who actually writes for Marvel and has written the <laughs> X-Men in Jim Zub. So, um... It, it was a lot of fun, but like, man, I, I had to almost just sit back for for the most part and just let these guys handle a lot of the conversation. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Like, there was one portion where, man, I brought up like, are you familiar with the character Psylocke? No. Okay, so I I would have been in the distant background had I found my <laughs> way onto this podcast. It's a long story, but like, I drafted Zylo Psylocke, and I I mentioned how like I would um cast her in her you know original form, which was like. Okay, long story, John, but, like, Psylocke is a British woman uh, trapped in a Japanese woman's body. Okay. So uh, I said I would cast Psylocke, and I would cast her in her British form to start off with. Little did I know, Jim actually actually wrote the story that <laughs> oh <my God>. reverted... <laughs> what a, that is the ultimate flex. <laughs> dude, yeah, like, reverted the Japanese Psylocke to the British Psylocke. And I would, like, go on to research this afterwards. And this was actually quite the controversial move at the time. So, yeah, I completely <laughs> was like, <laughs> oh, amazing. okay. Um, I've got it saved. I'm going to go re-listen to this <laughs> or listen to it first for the first time. Like, imagine, like, the wrestling equivalent, you know? Like, you're on probably some some dude's podcast. Like, you, you might fancy yourself a wrestling fan. And your job is to, like, book the invasion or something. 
you know, in a fantasy draft and you're picking, <laughs> you're picking like names out of a hat. And then here comes like Vince Russo, who's a part of this like fantasy draft. And, you know, Buff Bagwell was like the person that you chose or something. Yeah, it was, it was quite ridiculous, but it was a lot of fun. Well, I, I remember uh, it was a few years ago that I was at uh, our, our mutual friend Ellen Wong's birthday party. Ellen Wong of uh, Glow fame. And I was at this party and I ended up hanging out with Jesse and Graham. And I think our friend uh, Elliot. And it was just like we were just at this uh, bar and it was like the most like the funniest conversation. Like Jesse was a guy I always found to be hilarious. And it was just uh, for like two hours. I was just laughing my ass off They're They're hilarious guys. He is. Yes. They're all really uh, entertaining people. And Alex. Oh, sorry. Alejandro. 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 My former roommate. Is that right? I, I used to live that. with him. Yeah. Yeah, I forget that. Wow. Yep. So all look right. at this. All of it all of it tied together. I can't, wait till, I can't wait till I can't wait they invite you on. I I will never be invited. I don't think I could accept such oh, a Oh, I wonder like I wonder that. if they would ever do a Dallas draft. I don't know if that would qualify for their for their fan base. But yeah. uh I had a near uh significant issue with are you familiar way? Of course you are. Here in my office, my Dallas windowsill. Of course. Yeah. So I've put all my Dallas memorabilia, DVDs, books, records, everything into this windowsill. It was not something intentional, but when I moved in here, I had packed all my stuff and suddenly realized I've got a lot of Dallas stuff that I have accumulated over the years. So the other day, my wife informed me, have you checked your Dallas stuff? And I was like... What what's wrong with my Dallas stuff? Oh, that's not a, a nice sentence to start off with. Okay, what happened? Well, she informs me that one of the activities that our two-year-old son has taken to is taking the hose and spraying the windows, and the water has been seeping through the windows that she has noticed in other parts of our basement. So she said, you better check that there's no water damage to all of your stuff. And honest to God, I was like, if this is the death of all my Dallas stuff, my two-year-old is the only person in the world who I will I will just smile and say, I've got a great story out of this. I had a very good run with all this Dallas stuff. That was my honest thought was that this is it. It's done. So I checked this. There was absolutely water that has like come through and was like stuck in it. We had to like get this like uh you know like the vacuumed out of it. Um, but we we preserved everything. There was an old cable cord that I had for this microphone that was completely like just goo over it from like this tar that was in there with water. That was the only casualty. Was this was this one cord? Everything else is preserved. Uh, but almost gone, almost everything gone. I was like slightly concerned, but it's all still there. Crisis averted. I mean, it sounded like there was a near disaster at South Fork. Yeah, this was almost like uh, 1983 all over again with the fire. Um, yes. (laughs) Where Sue Ellen is sedated in the upper bedroom <laughs> yeah you can't really get mad at a two-year-old for doing something like that i mean you can't i i th- i honestly thought like if if all of this is gonna go like what a story i've got 
it's that's all I can look at it as. I mean, Honestly, every it's only every everything in life is is about the story at the end of it. I feel it like if you had told that story, and if for instance you did lose something, you'd probably like you know some Dallas fan out there would be sending you like whatever you're missing. I bet. I'm not kidding. I think I have some stuff that probably is in such limited supply out there. I'm talking about like I have like this calendar that was from like 1981 i've got a a record that dan lavransky but i have several records that dan lavransky has bought me that is dallas themed uh i've got all the dvds i've got my jr ewing bourbon i've got a jr figurine here i've got uh stuff that i bought when i went to the south fork ranch uh several years ago dallas trading cards in their casing Wow. This is, and it's all added up. Like, I'm not this collector. I don't really collect anything, but I've just Mm -hmm. over the, I've just realized I've accumulated all of this over time. It was like this accidental collection that I've got. And it's the only collection I I really uh, have just stumbled upon. Well, I'm intimidated. Forget Jim Zub. Like, man, little did I know I've been talking to the world's greatest Dallas memorabilia collector this entire time. So I was very concerned, given all the news, I was very concerned how long tonight's show was going to go. And as we are nearing 13 minutes here, uh, I think we should take a a drastic 90-degree turn and get back into the pro wrestling lane uh, and dive into some news. Are you ready, Way? Ready. We've got everything from uh, lawsuits to ratings to everything in between. So on uh, over the weekend, WWE... um, on behalf of the defendants, uh, did respond to the uh, consolidated amendment case. This was the case that we went over a couple weeks back. From the, it's being led by the uh, the firefighters' pension system uh, of Kansas City, but it's representing uh, s- similar uh, suits that have been issued against WWE. In a nutshell, alleging that investors were misled, uh, specifically noting the uh, Middle East North African. A television rights deal uh, that was up and the issues surrounding the crown jewel event from last fall in Saudi Arabia, talent getting out of there. And this of course was the lawsuit that featured the, the infamous CV one or CW one and CW two confidential witness one confidential witness two, which I am predicting now the next time there is a spring break guaranteed that is a tag team we will get. Oh, this and yeah, um, and what would they, what would their finisher be? Well, you'll have the first one come out, CW one, build from the Middle East, North <laughs> via North Africa, and then we got uh, CW two, who will be, will when they introduce them, CW one will have to start the match as a handicap match because CW two is detained somewhere else and has to find a different way, and then is going to be one of the top twenty. That eventually makes it to the arena uh, late in the match. That's brilliant. Okay, and then and then maybe WWE or a representative will come in to throw out the match. That's right. There. That's when CW two is going to get there. Explain why they were late, and then the WWE representative will explain that's not true. It was mechanical issues. So. Let's get into this statement. Uh, I'm not going it, to – it's a pretty lengthy statement. If you want to see the link to it, it's in today's update. It's like 49 pages, so I'll do my best to uh, summarize it in, uh, in plain English. But um, you know, this is uh, – Jerry McDivitt's law firm is representing WWE in this case. So it's 
largely going through and they're trying to argue like an overall point that when it comes to the uh, the Middle East, North African television deal, feeling that the language that they presented was sufficient enough. There are certain risks that is involved with these uh, different deals and that they even downgraded their guidance when they knew that the the first deal with OSN would be ending and when they were still in talks uh, with uh, a new deal in the MENA region. So that's kind of going over that when it comes to the the confidential witness. This is uh, someone that allegedly uh, worked with NBC, which is the outlet in the Middle East um, with the broadcasting system. They assert that uh, this person was not a part of the the negotiations, uh, did not uh, work in WWE's corporate office, and it's pretty much saying like it's uh, someone with secondhand information. It's pretty much how they're they're painting it here. When it comes to um, the Saudi Arabia stuff, um, this is also regarding the payment that was uh, so supposedly delayed last last fall. This was a whole source of contention was. Last last fall, when the WWE had put out their quarterly report, they mentioned like a shortfall and stated part of that was due to the timing of a payment for the Saudi Arabia show earlier that spring. Now, in between the end of the quarter and the investors call, they did state that there was a payment of $60 million, that they didn't state what it was for. But in this response, they do outline this $60 million that that arrived here. So the reason that's important is because uh, WWE side is stating that the allegation that the feed for Crown Jewel was cut over a late payment makes no sense because this payment arrived and is pretty much just uh, trying to discredit confidential witness number two, which is all the stuff connected to Crown Jewel. However, as we talked about, Wade, there was one of the outlines in that last lawsuit was that this this witness stated that they had heard from Mark Carano on the plane that story that Vince McMahon had an issue with the crown prince the feed was cut and that's where they heard the story so in this statement they're going about their argument that well this plaintiff the plaintiff makes no sense because there was no late payment that's what they're trying to assert however to me, I found it kind of interesting that they didn't just simply state that Mark Carano, who is named in the lawsuit, he is not named in this response. To me, it would just be simply getting a denial out of Mark Carano that he ever said that. And I could not find any denial in this in this statement. And that's not to say that that confirms that he said it. But that, to me, would be a very easy way to discredit the witness by just saying that Mark Carano um, – never claimed to have said this. And if he did say it, then th- then that brings up I- its own set of questions. So I-, I think that's kind of a one of several interesting aspects to this whole thing. Um, but this is, you know, uh, pretty much 49 pages of WWE pretty much trying to, to downplay the significance of the statements from the, the witnesses, also adding that when it comes to the, the stock sales, and this was a case not just against WWE, but they also list Vince McMahon and the former co-presidents, Michelle Wilson and George Barrios. The, the stock sales, they say that the plaintiffs have not done enough to show um, that these were unusual 
um, which the onus is on them to prove that. And specific to Vince McMahon, noting that he was launching the XFL. So while this may have been more than usual, it was still in the grand scheme of things um, a relatively small amount, stating it was approximately 11% of his overall WWE holdings. He's still the largest shareholder. So that's kind of the, the three different pillars that they're arguing over here. But I guess it's now seeing where, where does this case go? Do the plaintiffs feel that they have a strong enough case? And a lot of it would probably come down to these witnesses, how how much faith they have in their stories and if they have enough to be able to to prove any of these allegations. You know, it, it read to me like a very well thought out lawyer's rebuttal to uh, some claims that were made. And I really don't know where the whole thing goes from here. I mean, w- even when it began, I didn't really think any sort of major, you know, industry shaking result would come out of it. To me, it just felt like things that were kind of being flung out there uh, as an attempt for a group of people to try to, I guess, win a lawsuit. Um, and this to me just feels like it's a, I don't know, seem like an expected bu- rebuttal from the WWE. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think it comes down to the plaintiffs having to believe it. Like, how strong is our case? It's going to be very expensive to pursue this case, especially against WWE. Um, and and from there, like, if the case goes further, um, what what comes out in the process of discovery that might shed some more light on on the the television deal negotiations and all of the crown jewel stuff. Like, I I don't know how much more will come out of that and, and and which side uh, prevails. But uh, in, in terms of the, the the television negotiations, that seems to be something that there, you you would think there's at least um, more, more of a paper trail that you can uh, kind of get a sense of. But the, the argument that they're making is that when you go through all of their filings, they feel they adequately defended themselves and were as forthcoming as they needed to be to investors. And that, that would come down to your interpretation if they were or they were not. But it's, you know, these are always very complex cases and ones that, you know, the, the burden of proof is on the plaintiffs to be able to to prove this and to in theory, convince a judge that there was some kind of uh, misleading along, along the way for investors. So that's the latest chapter on that lawsuit. When it comes to the WWE's tapings, uh, over the weekend, uh, tonight's episode of Raw was what they taped on on Saturday. And their updated schedule that we had reported on over this weekend is now they will do the two Great American Bash episodes on Wednesday with NXT. NXT was initially going to tape another two episodes on Thursday. Those are off and will be taped at a later date. So Thursday will be two episodes of SmackDown. And Friday will be two episodes of Raw. They'll also be taping a 205 Live on the Thursday main event and Raw Talk on Friday. So three consecutive days of tapings. And you know we'll get into it later, Way, But it seemed that Raw tonight, uh, there, there were some notable absences. And we'll see based on these tapings, um, if any of those names are back for Raw or SmackDown. Um, but are you surprised, just given the all the stories from last week, the the state that Florida's in at the moment, that they're coming back so quick uh, to, to get these tapings in? No, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I think 
Like NXT uh-huh. and SmackDown, they pretty much they they had to do. They had to get episodes done for the, this upcoming week. So I mean, it's it's not like they could have put them off. It's just um, the fact that they're you know they're, they're moving forward, obviously. And I, I guess uh, that's that's been their mo this whole period throughout the entire thing. It's it's been like that, and I, I don't think this company will stop unless there's a sanctioning body that forces them to. Uh, if, you know, it's something like perhaps testing, holding them up and having them forced like at most to fill TV time with a pre-recorded match. But as long as they're able to record, I, I, I definitely see them continuing on as uh, doing as much as they can. My, you know, my only, the only thing I, 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 I can at least hope for is that they bulk shoot as much as possible and that they don't, you know, uh, man, like attempt like that very, I would say um, ambitious schedule that like, you know, seemed to was released like months ago where they, they were almost going live pretty much every other week. Um, I don't know going ahead if they even know what, you know, their new taping schedule will be like, but I imagine it'll be a week to week call. Well, it's, I mean, they're, they're doing two episodes of, of each brand this week. So, I mean, that, that kind of tells you when they'll have to return. Like this would take, um, this would take care of, SmackDown for this Friday and July 10th. It would take care of Raw for July 6th and 13th. And that would be the furthest they would be ahead, the July 13th Raw. So that would mean they would have to be back in time to do the the Friday going into Extreme Rules, which would be July 17th. So that's what we're looking at is pretty much they would do the tapings this week and then probably have to be back two weeks later for not just for SmackDown on that Friday, but that's the weekend of extreme rules and the raw coming out of extreme rules as well. So that's probably the buffer you're looking at. It's about two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, seems like the a reasonable amount to stretch to. So yeah, we'll see how well it goes. Uh, on that note, uh, WWE executive vice president, uh, John Brody did this interview over the weekend, it was kind of this uh, this roundtable discussion where uh, part of it was um, d- discussing the WWE's whole decision to go ahead with shows during the pandemic. And this was uh, part of his quote that, that he gave regarding uh, the WWE's decision here, as I just uh, scroll down here. He said, first, first things first. The health and safety of our superstars, like Charlotte. Charlotte was also a a part of this interview. Uh, The health and safety of our superstars, like Charlotte, our legends, like Ric Flair, all of our frontline workers, because we do have frontline workers, is first and foremost of paramount importance to us. But it comes down to leadership in many ways. Our leader, our founder, our chairman, our CEO believes that we have a social responsibility to put fans first and to help fans get a little break from what... Uh, has been coming down in the midst uh, and the responsibility to try and take them away for a few hours and let them watch Charlotte do the amazing things that her and her colleagues do in the ring and give them a smile, give them a chance to feel something other than what they're watching, which is also important on the news and goes on to state that uh, we leaned in, not because we knew an exactly straight path ahead, But to say, we are going to put fans first. We're going to do everything we can, working with state, local, and federal officials to make sure it's safe uh, for our superstars. And goes on to talk about uh, all the safety measures that they have uh, put in place and make sure that we only have essential personnel 
We have a closed set, no fans. We're testing all the superstars to make sure that they're healthy. But we have a responsibility to our fans, and we wanted to continue to deliver for them to help them in the small little way that we could. I mean, this has been very much in line with, with their company line the entire time, ever since WrestleMania. We're doing it for the fans. We're doing it for the fans. We're doing it for the fans. That now, in the past, they've said that they've been testing the superstars, too, which I think is, you know, as we know now, really led to the false impression that they were testing the superstars, when in fact they were only doing uh, temperature checks. Temperature checks, And, you know, this guy, John Brody, I guess he did this uh, this week. He did this interview this week. I mean... Making it seem like they've been testing the superstars the entire time when it's really just been temperature checks, I think is just uh, so deceptive. But then again, it's like this is a PR statement from a, you know, what is his name? Global head of sales and partnerships. Like I hold I give this guy no more credibility than, you know, Seth Rollins cutting a scripted promo. Well, and as well, I mean, it's kind of all these things. They have been true at different times, but like essential personnel. Uh, a week ago, we we were not having just essential personnel. We had the friends and family that were hardly essential um, that that were part of this. Now we can see based on SmackDown from Friday and tonight that that has not been the case. Um, but you know, this has certainly been. I, I would not say uh, that that was not accurate for the entire time. Nor has testing, um, which one would naturally lead that to mean COVID testing. Uh, that has not been true for the majority of these past three months. Well, even the definition of, of essential essential is very subjective. Is are both Charlie Caruso and Sarah Schreiber essential to like do you need both of them? Do you need, you know, a three person commentary team? Well, let me tell you after tonight, Ric Flair was absolutely essential on tonight's show. That well, was of course. that was mind boggling. He was on tonight's show. After all of this, he was there Saturday. And I, I mean, I, I saw online like the man was trending and I imagine what was like that decision, I think, was faced with a lot of discomfort from the audience. So for um, no reason was yeah. he there tonight. Like there was not even like the argument of like a big angle he was part of. Not that that's an excuse either, but it huh. was almost like he was being forced into the show just to justify his presence. Who knows? Like, who knows what what's up with that guy? Like, for all I know, the man probably begged to 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 be on the show. I don't know. I can't. I, I can't say. But I know that William Regal has been doing his appearances on NXT via iPad for months, and it's made zero difference. And you can't tell me Ric Flair couldn't have done what he did today via Skype video or you know something, Zoom call, whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, we'll get into that more in the show. Uh, Roman Reigns did an interview over the weekend and he, uh, this was with the, the outlet, the, the Hindu, and this was his, uh, this was his, uh, reasoning for why he's at home right now. He said, for me, I just had to make a choice for my family. The company has done everything that they can to make it the safest work environment possible. It is not the workplace that I was necessarily concerned about. The decision was taken mainly because each performer travels so much and we are all such a diverse group and from all over the place. I'm not convinced and I can't trust the fact that everybody is taking it as seriously and locking themselves down at home like I am. I trust my life with my coworkers every time I step foot in the ring, but I just can't put the same trust when it has my children, my wife and my family in Involved. But I don't want it to come off as I'm taking a stand against the company at all because I love the WWE. I've been part of this company just since I was a little boy. That's why I always take it so personally when I represent them. 
I think a really well thought out, um, very careful statement from Roman Reigns, making sure that I think he's able to, you know, say what he truly wants to say while also making sure that he's not pissing off the people that have made him who he is. Um, everything out there that can be critical of, you know, how how the WWE has handled this whole thing, or at least just any, even any concerns regarding face masks or any any sort of like, uh, you know, absence from from the company we know can be used against the WWE, you know, or at least used to springboard a conversation against the WWE for their complete negligence of, of what's been going on. And somebody like Roman Reigns, I think, you know, shows how savvy he is when he's speaking to the media in, in a statement, I think as carefully worded as that. And maybe it's not even carefully worded. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he, you know, he's trying to, you know, hop over minefields, but it could just truly be what he's thinking. Yeah, and and I think you know telling as well the fact that you know he's you know look at it that's you can only control so much and what others are are doing during this time how serious people are taking it. Um, let's not forget Reigns did do one of these empty arena shows. He did do that that contract signing with Goldberg that first week, and then it was you know the the week they were taping WrestleMania that you know he he pulled himself out of there. So uh, that that tells me that something did not sit right with him and probably justifiably so i think that for i think reigns hit it on the head where a lot of these wrestlers they will take uh probably more risk than they need to when the sole person involved is is themselves they will be willing to shoulder a lot of that that risk if it's just them involved when it extends to your family it's a different ball game for different people and you know, mm-hmm. we, we've seen that with Kevin Owens. We've seen it with Roman Reigns. And I think that that's a, a perfectly justifiable reason to have. And it does beg the question, are there performers that maybe don't have that that same level of security that a Reigns or an Owens has that are doing these shows and concerned about it? And, you know, I would imagine that's at a peak over the past week. Absolutely. I would think so, too. Um you know, I, I do find it interesting how, like, I wonder if in that statement, and this is probably, you know, potentially me looking too deep into it, but was there a veiled criticism of how serious the talent are taking it? How, if you're Roman Reigns, and th- those are your honest beliefs that there are some people that are not taking this as seriously, and you're just turning on the show. And you're seeing all these people in the crowd without masks. Or if you're on social media, seeing the talent, you know, hang out in bars or, or I don't know, uh, wherever publicly. A- anywhere else in in a state that is just just hit with tons of positive cases. I'm not getting off my couch anytime soon. I'm I'm just hanging out. And Reigns is not showing you know any inkling of coming back until things are you know to his satisfaction and if you have that that ability absolutely use it i i think that not enough guys uh utilize the ability that they have um so i i don't know if watching right now would necessarily convince him that th- this is uh, an environment i want to be exposing myself to as long as the numbers are what they are in florida i really uh, can't see him you know feeling any reason to get more comfortable now so coming up on Wednesday, uh, WWE has really loaded up this episode of NXT. Uh, over the past few days, they've added several matches. So these are the the current lineups. I just want to get some of your thoughts, Way, on, on what we've got on Wednesday night. On NXT, we have Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks in a non-title match. 
an elimination match involving Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, Mia Yim, and Candice LeRae, Oni Lorcan versus Timothy Thatcher, a strap match between Roderick Strong and Dexter Loomis, and Rhea Ripley taking on Aaliyah and Robert Stone, where if Ripley loses, she joins the Robert Stone brand. On AEW, we've got Cody and Jake Hager, Omega and Page against the Best Friends, Hikaru Shida, Penelope Ford for the women's title, Santana and Ortiz against Private Party, and MJF and Wardlow against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And I'll say, I think over the, given the the numbers last Wednesday in NXT's favor, and the lineup that they've put together in this week, I would say that NXT has built some momentum for themselves going into this week, where... I would say two weeks ago, we assumed these were going to be two really big, solid weeks for AEW. I'm expecting it to be very competitive this Wednesday night because I think that NXT has a very strong lineup. I think so, too. You know, coming off of NXT last week, going off air, it didn't look that great. You know, you had that strap match between Strong and Loomis. You had the four, uh, what is it, the four-way number one contenders match. And even like, you know, the, the Ripley thing was teased. That didn't look that good. But over the weekend when they announced Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks, that to me is a marquee dream level matchup for, uh, you know, fans of both of those two that I thought was a tremendous idea to put onto this show. Now, it'll be interesting to see how they book it with with Sasha, you know, coming up for a title shot and, and you know, uh, Io not really being able to afford a loss. So that definitely interests me. Uh, I think Thatcher versus Lorcan is also a brilliant match to put on for that particular audience that's a match that otherwise really i don't think means a whole lot but to an audience that might care about aew uh, an audience that watches nxt for work rate i think it's it's a fantastic matchup so those two are immediately matches that i think bolster that show and make me you know a lot more interested but aew still has kenny omega and hangman page you know appearing in a main event for the tag team championship yes it's against the best friends who aren't the the highest caliber tag team in in, in terms of star value or our or, or name value but it's still a title match with page and omega and you know that they're going to get time and you know that they're going to have like an amazing match cody versus hager i think has been well built and i think there's still pre- prestige attached to you know a cody championship match so when those guys are all in the ring uh, on the TV at, 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 at those times, I think I still give the edge to AEW, you know, given the the amount of promotion that they pushed for this show versus the one week build that NXT really has had. I still give the edge to Fighter Fest. What do you think each show starts their show off with? Um, Depending on what so I think the- both are going to come out with like, so, uh, yeah. big things to try and hook people right out of the gate very true i mean unless nxt announces a bigger match than uh what is it uh sasha and uh you know eo i can see them starting with the four-way that's what i thought yeah i mean it's it's kind of it's a match that can go long um i think the women can do very well in that slot i see AEW kicking off with the omega page best friends match me too yeah I think that's, it's a great way to start the show off. I mean, it's Kenny Omega on your TV. Uh, those matches are always incredibly fast-paced, and they're really, they've all been must-see. All the, all the Kenny Omega, Hangman Page title matches have been fantastic. So I can see yeah. that. I'm looking forward to it. I like this Wednesday night. Like, you're going to get two great shows, I think. I think so, so too. Yep. Like, this is, uh, you know, uh, I, I think NXT, like, just in a week, just they, you know, they've, and I've been very, down on NXT, just uh, story-wise, uh, I just found the format of the show to be it, it. It's the most NXT has felt like a just a a third WWE main roster show. Like mm-hmm. it just feels like right from that that mold, the most it ever has. 
and you know it seems that you know th- this is a this is a very good quality television lineup on Wednesday. So we'll see how uh, the viewership totals uh, come out on Thursday, and see, we'll see what other matches they announce for the eighth, which is a big show too. That's right, yeah, because NXT really does not have much uh, anything announced beyond the double title match for the following week. Uh, SmackDown finished with 2,174,000 viewers on Fox Friday. It was their highest number since April 17th, still doing a .5 in the demo, which was tied for first for the night, along with uh, ABC's uh, rerun programming. And yeah, the Undertaker tribute was the the big difference because that, that first hour uh, propped up the number. So um, airing something old this week, which was interesting in the fact way that here they got away with pretty much 45 minutes of taped programming. No issue. The number was higher. And it really goes to show you, like, you can't do this every week. But there are certain, um, mm-hmm. to me, there's there's certain occasions where you can play something old. It could do well if presented correctly and it's it's less stuff you have to tape at the at the performance center so Mm -hmm. again it's not something i think you can get away with every week but every now and then it's something that they can they can get away with and in this case it was uh the undertaker tribute was the big difference i I feel like in some ways i got lucky that the last ride ended that particular weekend and you could justify dedicating the whole show to theme around the undertaker's retirement and you just so happen to have this never before aired on tv 40-something minute match that received tremendous critical acclaim uh, that you could put on TV for the first time. All those things really worked in their favor, and I thought it was really smart to put that match up there. Can they replicate that on a week with you know less newsworthy topics? I think we've seen them attempt that when they went through that stretch where they you know went to your random uh, Money in the Bank match or your random Royal Rumble match or whatever, and right. it was definitely, you know... Um, it didn't always work well. Uh, yes. So there you go. That is all of your news items. And you can go up to uh, to postwrestling.com. If you're interested, the MMA Junkies reported uh, more details about all the things they're putting the uh, the fighters uh, through in terms of the protocol. It's pretty detailed um, what MMA Junkie has. And we'll uh, probably get into more of that later this week because we will have uh, Dr. Alex Patel joining us this Thursday for an update on everything he's been involved with um, at the front lines uh, when, it, when it comes to the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to chatting with uh, Alex uh, once again and getting his perspective as well about um, – Watching from afar the pro wrestling industry, how it's handling it, what they're doing well, what they're not doing so well at. So that'll be a very interesting discussion this Thursday. I'm looking forward to reconnecting with Alex. It's been, you know, like over a month, I feel, since we've spoken to him. And all of a sudden, COVID has kind of become a hot button issue again, you know, at least in wrestling circles, actually even beyond. So look forward to that chat. Maybe we'll even throw a thread up there if people want to ask questions, because I know, you know, I'm sure there's been some great conversation like on our message board, and I'm sure a lot of people. We'll have a lot to to want to ask. Uh, so Tuesday night, Way and I will be back with uh, the July edition of Ask Away, our mailbag show, where we get into a lot of uh, a wide range of subjects uh, that we don't always get into uh, in these types of shows. So that will be up for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Andrew Thompson is going to be dropping an interview Tuesday with Stu Bennett. Uh, discussing uh, his work with the NWA, uh, a proposed run he had to work on Lucha Underground, and a new movie that he's involved with. Subscribe to his YouTube channel, everybody. Andrew Andrew Thompson. He is a 
working really hard on it. And that's the place where you could see video versions of all the interviews that he posts on postwrestling.com. Yes, check that out. And then on Wednesday night, we'll have Rewind to Dynamite and up next covering the uh, the two big shows that evening. Oh, I wanted to mention up next, we'll be, of course, covering the Great American Bash. But they themselves, Braden and Davey, will be having their own Great Canadian Bash because, of course, it is Canada Day. But they are thieving their entire review, uh, probably cooking Canadian food, probably drinking Canadian beer, which might be, you know, unfortunate um, because it probably means Molson Canadian for them. And uh, they'll be doing their full review on their YouTube channel, youtube.com slash up next in full Canadian gear. Oh, God. Can you predict Canadian what Canadian gear might be? Um, Brayden will be in a hockey jersey. Uh, <laughs> Davey will just be in things that are red uh, and white. Um, hats, some, some ridiculous hats, maybe some beaver tail. Beaver tail. What is that? That's, uh, that's like, um, the food, like the dessert. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, the, the sugary, uh, I've never had one. I have actually, they're delicious, but it's not one you could, it's not something you could get readily, you know? Okay. Well, we shall see and you shall see too, because it is, yes, the great Canadian bash. You can listen to it or you can watch it. YouTube.com slash up next, usually at about 10 30 PM. Friday night, we're live with Rewind to SmackDown, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern Time, every Friday night for patrons uh, to tune into. We had a lot of calls this past Friday, and we will dedicate lots of time to your calls. We'll get to everybody uh, this Friday night after SmackDown. And then Saturday, it's a weekend of WH Park, because uh, on Saturday, it's a new post-pro-res, myself and WH, going through all the latest news going on in uh, Japan. We'll go through the New Japan Cup, which resumes this Wednesday, and all the other news happening. And Sunday... It's the official episode number one of The Long and Winding Road. Last month was like the prelude to the series. Uh, This week, it starts proper as WH is joined by Scrump, and they're going to be reviewing a match from the Real World Tag League in November of 97 with Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinzaki taking on Mitsuharu Masawa and Jun Akiyama, who you may remember from appearing on Ground Zero 1997 that we just reviewed last week. Yeah, the star of WWF Ground Zero, Mitsuharu Masawa, and Jun Akiyama was in that one as well. Wasn't wasn't yep. uh, Kobashi was in there? Um, yeah. I was going to say Sabu was in it. I was going to say Hayabusa, but that, it was actually Sabu that was in it that. Was clip. yes, I believe so. Yeah, because it was a yeah, it was it, he was unmasked. It, it was very quick. It was like a second of Sabu. Um, yeah, this was all to promote the uh, the Patriot Del Wilkes with their all Japan footage they were able to use. You, you, you think WH will do an episode on Del Wilkes? No, I don't. Yeah, I not. think that if you could put together the the prototype of a wrestler that from gear to music to promo to style the wh would hate from every <laughs> angle it would probably be del wilkes the music that would, would be my guess the music is the best part of, of well i don't know about his all japan music but his wwe this, music this fucking guy he came out with the uncle fucking slam <laughs> fucking name <laughs> i've ever fucking heard the uncle slam i'll if i remember i will ask him about the patriot Del Wilkes. Maybe he's got a soft spot for him. Maybe his team with uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell in the early 90s. Maybe that's like a key to WH's heart. We'll find out. Um, so then anyway, lots of WH this weekend, which means you can't go wrong. Celebrate Independence Day by being dependent on WH Park. Postwrestling.com. Amazing. Anything else, Way, before we get into Raw? I think we covered it all. Okay. We covered everything. So off the top here, um, 
again, this was taped on Saturday. So this was after uh, more testing by WWE. We went through names that were uh, missing in action on SmackDown. Tonight, I would say of the notable names that were not there, Kevin Owens we knew would not be there. Uh, Natalia we knew would not be there. Uh, it had been reported that uh, TJ Wilson was uh, sent home with, with a fever, uh, but he – has disclosed himself that he was tested twice and he tested negative. So uh, I think it was more so just a precaution with Natalia. Uh, no Randy Orton, no Street Profits, no Nia Jax, and no Austin Theory were the key ones. Right. Okay. Yes, Austin Theory I noted as well. Yeah. And I thought way more masks in the crowd. It wasn't everyone, but it seemed just from the eye test that there were more than we saw even on SmackDown on Friday. Yeah, I mean, if I had to, you know, venture a guess, it felt something like closer to 85, 90%, you know, versus on SmackDown, really kind of spotty. So, uh, Bo- Eric, Rick Bugez had his mask on front and center. Uh, some people in the back, not necessarily. I, Kona Reeves, I'm looking at you. Kona Reeves. Not his finest moment. <laughs> uh, it's fine. I mean,. Yeah, whatever. Listen, it's a far, far, far improvement from where we were before. The show began mid-brawl. So we're in the midst of the contract signing with Asuka and Sasha Banks, and Samoa Joe is our moderator, and they're brawling. It was just an impromptu start to the show, and Joe is trying to uh, keep order here in the ring, and they have to get separated. Dolph Ziggler comes out. And then he introduces his uh, he introduces Drew McIntyre as the abominable Drew McIntyre, which is corrected by Tom Phillips saying, "I think he means indomitable um, or, or abominable." Uh, could have been abominable as well. <laughs> uh, this was indomitable. Yeah. In abominable, he said abominable. <laughs> Well, Which was I, I think that was like the the B side for uh, Kid Rock's uh, ninety nine release. <laughs> I think it was going to be abominable. <laughs> there, it was not just this one, but it was also later Big Show like screwing up clearly uh, by mistake on Angel and Garza, who he was about to take on. He did catch himself and corrected it. Oh, he ran but- with it, and it, it made the the prom- like it made the promo seem more genuine than usual. You know? Yeah, but it, it's often like you don't see those in WWE, especially for a, a taped show. Like they usually – that kind of stuff is not left in there, that they are just this hammer on people to correct. But uh, in this one, they just kind of let them slide. I guess they were maybe under the gun on Saturday. Let's just get this damn show taped. Imbominable, whatever. Just make fun of them on commentary. Yeah. So uh, first of all, before we get into the segment itself, what did you think about this, this start trying to kind of – just begin with chaos. Hot start. You know, I, I think they always attempt to start Raw uh, somewhat differently. And man, the promise of a double contract signing, if that wasn't enough to get you in through the door, uh, starting it off this hot, I thought I thought was fine. Like, honestly, contract signings at this point, we've seen them so much. We know exactly what to expect. I just want them to get it over with as soon as possible. So just spare me like the, the, the you know formalities of each person walking out and and just go straight to the point yeah i i don't know if this is going to continue the uh, the 1.9 million uh viewers streak that they've had of the past two weeks like really 
I cannot imagine a double contract signing, putting your ass in front of a TV for three hours like that being. But maybe, maybe they're just. It was probably the best they could do. Creatures of habit. Yeah, but what like what else could they have gone with? I guess you know. I'm. I wonder when the show was really put together. I mean, they knew by Saturday what what they had in front of them. Yeah, I just, I just don't know how much of a, how, a hook I, this was going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I what I mean is on a week like this week where they didn't know what talent they had to choose from, I I, I do wonder how much time they they really could have had to plan something that. I mean, it's a tough enough job on regular weeks when 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 they are like you know fully staffed to pick to find something that's a big hook. Um, and this week, I this was the I guess the bit the best they could come up with. Drew and Dolph cut promos on each other. The key thing here is that Dolph is going to be allowed to pick the stipulation of their match at Extreme Rules, the horror show, which they painfully have to say in full whenever they mention this pay-per-view. So, yeah, they did not name the stipulation, but there will be a stipulation attached to McIntyre and Ziggler. Better be a good one. Because it's the only way I could see any sort of interest being drummed up for this Drew versus Dolph match, which honestly, at best, again, feels like it's it's a TV main event. Um, Dolph, again, tried his best to cut a passionate promo, and he does a great job. But we've we've all been so disappointed so many times at these Dolph Ziggler false starts. And they always start off with these great promos. But at this point, I just stop paying attention because I've heard it so many times. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say the promos really did much for me i mean they were fine but nothing memorable um and then you had oscar just get sick of dolph and cut her off so we put the focus back onto sasha and oscar sasha says she's going to be two belts banks after extreme rules and they're going to take over both locker rooms and the company um i thought this was a neat touch we saw this back in nxt where she took out the the boss uh stamp and stamped the contract instead of signed it and that is going to be a horror show, says Bailey at the end, to put an exclamation point on this segment. And then Drew and Dolph both tried to hit Dolph a super kick, Drew a Claymore, and both were avoided. And that was our first segment. Pretty generic contract signing. You know, generic promos from everybody involved, and it led to a generic brawl. So I guess just a means to an end. And again, probably I thank them for making this economical and doing both at once. Angel Garza was with referee Jessica Carr, gave her a rose, and then she takes off when Vega and Andrade walk in, and Charlie goes in, and Charlie is a bit jealous here, asking what he was talking to Jessica Carr about. Vega cuts her off and calls her Two Buck Chuck. Two Buck. Two Buck Chuck. Oh, because like $2. She's worth $2. I guess so, yes. And... Charlie asked Andrade and Vega, do you guys think that a win tonight will put you in line for the tag titles? And Andrade, in his best moment in months, stares a hole into her and says, yes, I do. (laughs) God damn. No, Charlie, I don't think we'll be ready, even with this win tonight. I think we're a couple wins away before we're talking titles. This this is what I, I mean when I say, you know, certainly I don't think I, both Charlie and Sarah are essential. I would argue that none of them are, none of them are essential because they serve nothing 
really than to hold microphones for people to talk into. Literally, Vega could be on her phone and say, hey, this fan on Twitter is asking if a win tonight will put us closer to the tag titles. What an idiot. Sure. Or throw, yeah, you could do that. Or you could just have the dude say whatever it is that they're trying to say directly to the camera without these people. Or you'll find if you really have to have a question, just fucking float it up on the screen via Chiron or something, because you get absolutely zero substance with these interview questions anyway. So uh, big show walks in and refers to Vega as Smurfette and tells Maserati and Ferrari that I'm pulling rank and I'm stealing your next segment because I've got a promo to cut on Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. Maserati and Ferrari. Maserati and Ferrari. Ferrari. Because it what? Because they sound like Spanish things. They're not even Spanish, aren't they? Italian. Uh, Big Show was um very liberal with his comedy, and you would be very liberal in describing it as comedy tonight. Uh, SmackDown promo all built around the toast. The toast for Jeff Hardy. This is this better be the greatest segment in history for the the promotion it has received, and the well, Strowman Bray feud. It's, it's got a lot to live up to. I mean, last time these two were in the ring together, we saw piss. I guess in in ring in a non speak or non wrestling segment. Yeah, so they got to top the the piss. It's got to end with Sheamus holding a glass of alcohol. And doing the same thing with the urine, where his revenge is tossing alcohol into Jeff Hardy's face. No, they can't do that. That's crossing the line. Because this is really Th- yeah. this is crossing guess, the line. Go 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 look at some of those Scott Hall segments with Steve uh, Austin in two thousand two. The guy was a recovering alcoholic, and he had to take the beer baths from Steve Austin. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I I almost prefer the piss at that point. So they announced uh, McIntyre and Asuka taking on Ziggler and Banks. That would be our main event tonight. Big Show is out. He calls out Randy Orton, but instead Andrade, uh, Maserati, Ferrari, and Smurfette comes out. And Big Show just doubles down with this Smurfette nickname for Vega. They laugh about him being a legend. And Big Show tells Angel Garza, I've got boots that are older than you. Which is probably not the case. He's twenty-seven years old. I think. The, I don't think he has boots that old. Boots and, from nineteen ninety-three. I mean, if he got some used ones when he broke in, um, is that when he started wrestling? He started like ninety-five. <laughs> yeah, sir. He could have gotten boots. some old boots, and he's held on to them this long. So maybe it's a chance. <laughs> he made fun of his height. And then they state that they're going to send Big Show to the retirement home with Edge and Christian. Ric Flair's out. He says he respects Vega, that Big Show's a legend. Orton is the greatest wrestler alive today. And Orton's going to take out Big Show whenever he feels like it. And said, you've been off making cartoons on Netflix. (laughs) Which is good. That's a good thing to be doing. Has he been making cartoons? I thought it was a sitcom. It was a sitcom, but I I have thought that Ric Flair may have thought that his project on Netflix is a cartoon, um, which made this more funny. He said he's had his day, had his run, and one day Orton's going to be an even bigger legend killer, and Big Show will be gone. And save for a backstage segment, that was it. That is why we put this man in harm's way in one of the most dangerous states in the country during this pandemic, 
This is why Ric Flair had to go through uh, additional testing and stay in Florida to do this. I have no doubt that this guy was probably itching to do this show, but this was I, – I just – I cannot get over the fact that this man is on these shows. I felt it was – you know, irresponsible to put the man out there anyway, even if there was testing, even if there were temperature checks, even if there were zero positives in that room. Knowing that there were positives as recent as several days ago and putting this man out there, I don't care how good your testing is. It's completely irresponsible. And I think it's totally unnecessary. Um, and I think, again, when you look at some of the reaction from the audience, it's like, it's unsettling. It's unsettling to see that man out there uh really fulfilling a role again that he could have easily fulfilled via Skype or via zoom or whatever you want to use. Um, like they're still, they have not, they have stopped using Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. Like think about the logic that led to that decision. But I think that's and, also because Lawler's not that good. Well, I mean, I mean the reason he was re- replaced, it was like, they, they realized Joe like, is so much better. He He's better, but I mean, like what necessitated that change to begin with? You know what I mean? It was like, anyway, I gave them the benefit of the doubt for that one, but here it's this one. It just, uh, it was just mind boggling that he was, he was here and for no good reason at all, like no reason at all to be part of these shows. I just, I could not believe this. So then the Viking Raiders run out and we get our tag match against Andrade and Angel Garza. Uh, Eric tore off Angel Garza's pants then Garza and Andrade took over, but they couldn't get along. Andrade starts complaining, and he goes to leave. So Vega's got to play Peacemaker uh, and getting off commentary. We come back from break. Andrade's made up with Garza, and they've got the advantage of Eric. Uh, Ivar eventually comes in. He goes for a handspring, is drop kicked from behind by Garza. And then it's the Viking Raiders in. They're double teaming. Viking experience gets stopped. There's the double knees to Ivar. Eric is sent into the post. How this steel post was still uh, standing by the end of this show. There had to have been like 2,000 pounds of pressure that this post took throughout the night uh, from various wrestlers thrown into this post. Have you touched it? It's probably really, really, (laughs) I don't know, strong. Someone's got to think of putting padding around this thing. Spinning elbow by Andrade, wing clipper by Garza, and they pin the Viking Raiders. And Andrade is not happy enough with this, so he leaves by by himself. Uh, more on that later. But uh, yes, it's the strange push of Andrade and Angel Garza who go over the Viking Raiders, but they're the two that cannot get along. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's a it's a tag team with a lot of tension between the two very egotistical heels. I I thought the match was fine. Nothing really stood out to me. Um, it was to me just a logical way of moving Andrade and Garza into that number one contender spot. And I feel like there was, you know, the descent between these two leading to the commercial break where you had, you know, Andrade basically say, tag me, tag me. Why not give me tag? I, I felt like it was kind of tough to notice on the first go around because the announcers weren't really focusing on it. And so I don't know if that point was all that clear, but by the end it totally was. So I guess it, it's totally fine. Didn't they, did they already beat the Street Profits? Or did they lose to them? Did they already face them last week? Uh, last week, they... Uh, yeah, Street Profits beat the Viking Raiders last week. Oh, okay. So that was a blow-off for that match. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, this... I mean, this seems to totally make sense. 
Yeah, I mean, they're building them up for the Street Profits, who were never mentioned on this show. They were just not there, and they weren't brought up either. Uh, other than either. the other than um, Charlie's passing question about if this win would bring them closer to a tag title shot. The Iconics are making fun of Ruby Riot. Said she's never had any friends. They made fun of Liv Morgan. Called them both losers. Riot brings up how they lost to Banks and Bailey last week, and Ruby challenges one of them to a match and said that would be iconic. See, I'm seeing this, and I'm suddenly reminded that, you know, like a month ago, there were teases that the Iconics were going to break up. Remember that? When, like, Billy Kay slapped Peyton, or maybe the other way around? Remember that scene yes. backstage? Yes. That They just seemed to completely drop that. Yeah, yeah. Um... There, there was the the part during the match tonight where Peyton wins, and then Billy Kay is like overly celebrating, and Peyton like gives her a look, but it really didn't give you the the direction that it's uh like I, I would think breaking these two up I think would be terrible for both. I think it would have been more overt, like if if it was an actual tease, um, and and perhaps you know because you got Bailey and Sasha doing pretty much the same thing and doing it, I would say with a more kind of like big mm-hmm. higher status, maybe they're choosing to delay it, but I, I agree. I think keeping these two together for now is definitely the right call. Now this, this tonight almost felt like they were kind of reverting the iconics back into like a full on kind of default stereotypical mean girls type of role, which, which works, you know, it, it, it really kind of complements the re renewed push for Ruby riot now as a baby face. Vega is with Andrade and Garza, and they're arguing after their win. Ric Flair walks in and says that they're on fire, and he has an idea, and he wants to speak to them privately. And then the three of them walked off screen. So was Flair aware he was on camera with them? Were the three of them aware that their their post-match argument was being broadcast? Because all four left to speak privately as opposed to where they were backstage, which would be in private. So I was I was not aware if we are eavesdropping or if we are watching them. You know, it's a great question. Um, I wanted Ric Flair um, to go off in private by himself and isolate. That's what I wanted. Would be great if you saw the conversation in private after, right? Yeah, Andrade explaining, listen, uh, you are, for the sake of, uh, like, you're almost family to me. I'm very concerned. Can you please just go back home? Andre, what? Yeah, go Andre. Andre. (laughs) Andre. (laughs) After several years, it's it's Andrade. Andre, what am I doing here? Andre. I'm 70-something years old. Uh, we had Akira Tozawa and R-Truth for the 24-7 title. Tom Phillips acknowledged Akira Tozawa with his gaggle of ninjas. Oh, yeah. Is that what they are? His gaggle of ninjas, which I feel there's less and less of these ninjas every week. Well, you don't know where they're hiding. I mean, ninjas are just... You never know. R-Truth is dancing. Tozawa does his pose. This is very offensive. Bunch of silly comedy spots. Tricks him into a roll-up. R-Truth wins the title for, this is what they said, the 37th time. And then the ninjas chased him. What is the record? Like, what's Crash Holly's record? I don't know. 
Okay, whatever. You know, like, when Tozawa, like, debuted as this ninja as part of that, you know, Viking Raiders, Street Profits, like, cinematic thing, I I kind of dismissed it. I was like, okay, fine. This is, like, a one-time gag for Tozawa. Gaggle. They, again, yeah, one-time gaggle. They needed an Asian to play a ninja. I'll let this slide. I'll excuse it. Now it's like three weeks later, and I'm slowly coming to the realization that this is his man, this man's permanent role. Like they made Akira Tozawa, one of the best wrestlers you have on that Raw roster, into a fucking comedy ninja. And I'm just, it's 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 quite ridiculous. I mean, it, it's supposed to be ridiculous. Yes, of course I can get a joke, everybody, but fuck to do this in like 2020 i'm i'm just amazed i like i I thought it was like incredibly it's awful and it's just yeah it's like ricochet is two steps away from a silly character like this like that's where he feels he's near nearing that that level as well i I guess so yeah i would rather be ricochet than akira tazal as a ninja what a choice. MVP is with Lashley backstage and said that Cruz has disrespected them. MVP says the offer to join them is dead. And they walk past Rollins and Murphy, who say that uh, Rollins says he has the most important message he's ever delivered as he holds Rey Mysterio's mask. And that prompts Rollins and Murphy to come out to the ring. No Austin Theory and no mention of Austin Theory either. Mm-hmm. He asks Ray to forgive him. They are bound by fate, and each time Ray enters this ring, he's going to take a piece of him. Ray appears on the screen with Dominic. They've got a wonderful connection, and they're on Skype. You know, perfect, uh, or something. Which, thank God they don't take phone calls. Oh yes, yeah, because you can't. <laughs> they, they we would just hear their voices because the audio would would hold up. I think Ray hopes that Dominic can forgive him for what he has to do with Seth. And he understands what his son was trying to do. He tells Seth an eye for an eye and what he does will not be by fate, but by design. So then Dominic, who's becoming my guilty pleasure of promos looks into the camera. I will never forgive you, Seth. And I'll never forget what my father does to you. It will be ordained by fate, bitch. And Seth then threatens to end Dominic's career before it even begins. And that's the end of Ray and Dominic. And then uh, we've got Umberto Carrillo and Aleister Black uh, storming the ring. But uh, Ray and Dominic uh, and obviously setting up Ray and Seth. And I guess the only question is whether they're going to fast track that to Extreme Rules or they can hold this off to SummerSlam because it's, it's... Arguably the biggest match they've been building to on on the raw side. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I I predict you won't get the one on one match until SummerSlam. It seems like it's on course for that. Please but, don't be a blindfold match. Please don't be a blindfold match. Mm. And that will be ordained by fate. <laughs> I guarantee you, it is a sentence that has never been uttered in the history of any Zoom or Skype call. I. I really like the physicality last week. I like the physicality this week too. 
But man, like the interaction between Dominic and Ray and Seth this week was reduced to this like really wordy, really over the top, fake sounding scripted promo. And I I thought the exchange was pretty unbearable, you know. Um, oh God, again, just like there's so much good stuff. I would say like in the physicality between these two, I love the use of the steps. But man, once they start going on about fucking ordained and just fate and all that stuff, it just takes me right out of it. What if he had ended the promo? And Seth, when I get my revenge, I'm going to take the eye out of Messiah. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> oh my God. I'm here all week. Umberto tells Seth that Ray is not a coward. You are the coward, and you are less of a man than Ray. Then Alistair Black, his backup, says, I know about evil. I recognize it when I am looking at it. There will be atonement for what has been done. Rollins says, you both are fucked. And we got a tag match with Black and Carrillo against Rollins and Murphy. I found this really interesting because, like, for all my criticisms that I just laid out about, like, you know, Dominic saying, like, cutting, like, this sort of, sort of preachy, dark, gothy type of promo, I thought Aleister Black doing the same sounded perfect. Like, he knows evil. He recognizes it when he looks at Seth. He, like, those words fit that character. They do not fit Rey Mysterio. They do not fit Dominic. And they barely fit Seth Rollins. So, you know, that tells me that, like, you can't script that shit for anybody to say, but you know, if it's an undertaker type of character, if it's an Alistair black type of character, then it works. And, um, I, I actually enjoyed Alistair black here. And, and it tells me that, you know, he and Seth really feel like they're a natural destination for both of them, considering their characters, you know, Alistair black, sort of like this Satanist going up against the guy who thinks he's a cult leader. Uh, I think it's almost, he's almost a heel that is custom made for Aleister Black. You know, I know they did the singles match probably at, at the beginning of this month, but uh, I'm, I kind of feel like there's definitely room for like a more fleshed out feud between the two. I don't disagree. In fact, that I just look at though, if like they're kind of hinting at that, where I could see Aleister being the stepping stone at Extreme Rules to the bigger match with Ray, which is not a position I love seeing Black in because. I mean, it's been said, the fact that you're, you're looking at Raw right now and the the main pushed characters, like when we go up and down here, you've got um, Big Show right now, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio. It's it's fine. Like this Seth Rey story is fine, but it's it's ultimately it feels like Rey is the big destination point and Aleister Black is kind of just in that setup role. That's what it feels like. Um and, and I think in a perfect world, it's almost the other way around, that Aleister Black is your future, and they're kind of just going for, you know, the stars that are over, those are our focal points, especially on Raw. Yeah. Which, I is, mean, which is a change from what, what we had been seeing prior, where it was all about, you know, finding who are going to be our, our next acts to get over, and it seems less of that focus now. I think they're still taking somebody like Aleister Black very seriously. We're not seeing him taking any real, like, unnecessary losses. Um, he's not getting jobbed out, like, you know, a ricochet or something like that. I think, I get the sense Aleister Black is still just kind of waiting for a guy to actually, you know, have a program with. And he probably will have to wait until after SummerSlam. 
Uh, they, they had a fine tag match here, in particular Black and Murphy, who I think they could they could wrestle every week, and I don't think it gets old. They're just mm-hmm. uh, custom made for for one another. Uh, Umberto has now adopted the six one nine, which he teased, and Rollins pulls Murphy away. Black, who the announcers have to constantly bring up, he recognizes evil, uh, fires up. Murphy stops the Black Mass as uh, Joe is saying that uh, church is in session. There's a flying knee onto Murphy, and then Umberto hits the 619. Rollins makes a save, and we get a flying knee to Carrillo. Uh, sorry, the flying knee is delivered uh, from Murphy's shoulders for the two count. Black and Murphy then fight down to the floor. Carrillo with a roll-up for a two count, but then Rollins gets up, hits him with a stomp, and pins Carrillo in ten and a half minutes as Rollins and Murphy get the victory, and then afterwards continue the attack on Black and Carrillo, and they try several times to put Carrillo, they put Ray's mask onto him, try and uh, take out his eye, but Alistair stops them, but it ends with Rollins hitting a stomp to Carrillo onto the steps, and uh, yeah, Carrillo taking it here. Mm -hmm. This guy should be gone. Well, he didn't take the eye into the steps, he did take a stomp. You know, his eyes okay. That would suck too, the the head into the, the stairs like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was a nice spot. Like, not a fan of the promos, but I thought the match was really great, and I love the post-match angle. Uh, again, I, I think they're doing a great job of using those steps as a device for, for creating tension. Uh, and it's a lot of, you know, they've been wildly unsuccessful, though, I will say, <laughs> these heels, in trying to drive another man's eye into these steps. Yeah. yeah. You had such early success with Ray. It's been trying to, to recreate the past. Yeah. They try every week, you know, like, it's hard. Drew and Asuka are getting ready for their match. Drew dubs her the Empress of Claymore Country. Says mm-hmm. Ziggler will have no excuses after he picks the stipulation at Extreme Rules and says Sasha isn't ready for Asuka. Uh, this was... um. Two people that I don't imagine having uh, this kind of conversation unless it was uh, scripted right in front of them. I wonder what what sort of conversation. They aired the Undertaker video that kicked off SmackDown. Lana approaches Ruby Riot, who wants to be left alone. And Lana says this, this was Lana's entire role on this show tonight was talking about a woman who has more wins than anyone on the roster more than Trish Stratus, more than Lita, she's talking about Natalia, their leader. And that was it. That was Lana's entire involvement tonight. Well, you have to imagine she was supposed to do more if Natalia was present. So I'm I'm guessing that you know they were handicapped here and they just wanted to have Lana's presence. So I I found it interesting that they used like Ruby Riot basically as sort of like a sounding board for Lana to cut this promo. About the thing Natalia. is, they were doing that testing like last week, like Thursday. This was taped on Saturday. So you're saying they could have pre-taped? I'm just saying like they would have known, you know, it's not like they found out Saturday that they wouldn't have Natalia. They would have known, you know. But they want, like but they, they, just because Natalia's not there doesn't mean Lana, you know, can't, can't do anything. But she basically did nothing here. She still brought Natalia's name up and still furthered, you know, their story and their pairing and their character. And he's a potential program with Ruby Riot. Uh, yes, yes. Peyton Royce was the chosen iconic to take on Ruby Riot. 
immediately she hits a spin kick after Billy Kay distracts Riot and goes after her shoulder. And they bring up the double shoulder surgery that Ruby uh, is coming back from. Riot fought back, hit an STO, and Billy Kay is telling Royce to walk it off. Kay gets onto the apron as Ruby's setting up for the Riot kick. This leads to a series of roll-ups and then a crucifix attempt by Riot. And Peyton jumps in the air with this kick and then hits a spinning brain buster out of nowhere to pin Ruby Riot in three minutes, 13 seconds. Uh, I still maintain that, like, I think Peyton Royce has improved significantly. Yeah, there's improvement. Absolutely. Um I still kind of like, you know, unfortunately I have to rank her towards the bottom end of the talent there, but that spinning brain buster, holy shit, where did that come from? It looked that awesome. That was just... <laughs> oh my god. It was like, like you uh, you just like hit your uh, the wrong button on your controller and suddenly <laughs> like this move you've never seen before with like the least suspecting person was hit. That's a move I think we need WH's opinion on because I could definitely see a move like that fitting well within All Japan in the 90s. That was a, it's a beautiful spinning brain buster. So I was really surprised by the clean loss here from, from Riot, you know, like it seems like they're giving her a fresh start and I didn't really expect that it would start off with the loss, but I mean, I guess, you know, this seems to be her, them like bottoming her out as part of like a redemption story. Maybe, maybe what the Iconics called Ruby and Liv, that's going to be their gimmick. The losers, they keep losing, but they're going to do it together. The losers. Okay. Hmm. This was when Kay was celebrating. Peyton gave her a bit of a look. But that was it. Big Show is stretching, talks to Charlie about growing up in South Carolina where Ric Flair was his hero. Then he got into the business, learned this guy's an asshole, and he tells Randy Orton to try him. As far as Angel and Garza, Angel and Andrade, whatever, he's going to beat them. And that's our handicap match coming up next. Ferrari and Maserati versus Big Show. Uh, this match is way longer than I thought it was going to be. It was kind of a, you know, you're you're setting up Big Show for a big match with Randy Orton, but you're also trying to promote these guys to be your your top heel tag team. So I thought this was a kind of a silly match to book. Well, this was another one where I wondered if this was always the original plan because where you know, where was where was uh, Shane Thorne and Brendan Bink when you needed them? Because that's that's who you needed for this, not Andrade and Garza, who had already worked tonight, who you're building up for a tag title shot. And you're putting them against a guy that you're obviously not beating right now in Big Show. Uh, yeah, I think Thorne and Vink are uh, unfortunately still they're back down. And yeah, like, it's it's Brendan uh, Brendan Blink, and you missed him. That's that's what happened to his Raw run. Those guys don't even seem like they're in the crowd. So I I don't know what's up with those those two. So neither Andrade or Garza want to start. They're just both are intimidated of Big Show. They're just like geeks here. Andrade stepped, uh, came in. Uh, Garza got chopped uh, numerous times. He's just selling the the power of Big Show. Garza finally has some some success when he takes out Big Show's knee, but Andrade tags in. They start arguing. So Angel Garza takes takes off. He says, "This is your moment." He turns around Andrade, and he's hit with a choke slam and gets pinned. This went five and a half minutes, and then Andrade was laid out with the knockout punch. Uh, so I thought this did no favors for Andrade and Angel Garza, but uh, you knew what this was going to be with Big Show, who they are uh, building up to get killed by Randy Orton. Yeah, but I mean, I, I thought it was helpful for Andrade and, and Angel because it furthered, I mean, the tension, you know. Um, I, I guess, yeah, they are challenging for tag titles. Um, 
I just think they're trying to do way too many things with these guys. They're yeah. tag title challengers. They're a team that's on the verge of a breakup. They're the setup guys for Big Show. Uh, and it's like they've barely had any time together. Like, this could be a really good unit together. Like, what? why are we in a hurry to do any kind of split with these two? Um, I don't know if that's really the... I mean, I, yeah, okay, I guess it is the tease, but I, they, they're trying to make them like a unique heel tag team where their egos are so big they can't get along, yet... Despite all that, they they still win the matches that they need to win. And lose um, these ones. And lose matches like this, yeah. But it's I think as much a story for those two as it is for Zelina, who kind of has to play peacemaker between the two. And really at this point it's like you're I think we're just counting down the days to like I don't know, uh I guess these two exploding and having a program. The Maserati versus the Ferrari. Yeah. Ricochet, Apollo Crews, and Cedric Alexander are hanging out backstage. R-Truth comes in. He's uh, he's gotten away from the ninjas and then accuses the three of them of being the ninjas. They deny that they are the ninjas. And R-Truth says, I'm sorry, Cedric the Entertainer. And then calls Ricochet Richard O'Shea, where they all had to laugh at this joke. Ricochet goes to correct him and Cruz tells him, just go with it. Ricochet says, dude, if you watch me the last year, I've been just going with it for the last year. Hey, there's a 365 about Ricochet that's coming out soon. I am absolutely going to watch this thing based solely on this description. <laughs> an incredible year for Ricochet takes center stage this Sunday on an all new WWE 365. Oh, you know it'll be filled with like... I don't know, read a really great dramatic retelling that'll probably peak with him getting the opportunity of a lifetime to face Brock Lesnar and losing to him in three minutes. Oh yeah. They'll drag those three minutes a bit. I mean, in fairness, they never said which year they just said an incredible (laughs) year. Like maybe it's going to be 2016, 2017. We're going to see Prince Puma. We're going to get some new Japan footage. Um, the Will Ospreay. Yeah. Did he so, get called up in 2019? Or was it 2018? Got, he was in, a, yeah, he was in NXT. He got called up at the beginning of 19. Okay, so I'm assuming they'll do like that year, you know, from his call up to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> what, a, what an awful year when oh, you God. think about it. Hey, it's uh, better than this year. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, that, that'll be the time frame. But like, what a, what a, um, a crowning moment, that Lesnar match. Like, how can you spruce that up? Unless they, unless this comes out of left field and it's like a, a very sobering look at a guy who has been, you know, a very, like, it's been a very dismal main roster run for this guy. Well, you've seen how successful the last ride has been. And like, you know, when you have wrestlers kind of like diving deep into their faults, uh, that would be wonderful, but I, I don't expect it. What an odd subject for this. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see this just of like I mean, how the hell they couch this. It tells you at the beginning of the year when, you know, when they, you have to decide to film these things, they probably had high hopes for him. Apollo Crews MVP had a non-title match. MVP cut a promo about giving back, helping out Lashley. Crews then comes out and says MVP only cares about helping himself. So MVP misses a kick. Crews comes back, dive onto Lashley on the floor and then gets sent into the stairs, and we go through the commercial. MVP misses with a boot in the corner, and Joe talks about 
Apollo Crews being independent and has this great line, sometimes you stand alone and no one comes to your funeral. Cruz then hits a spine buster. Cruz then gets uh, knocked off balance on the top turnbuckle when Lashley distracts him. MVP lands his running boot, fisherman suplex, and he gets a three count. Six minutes, 42 seconds, a win by MVP. A very strange outcome. Yeah, I, you know, first, like, let's rewind to the promo. I, I, I thought it was a great exchange of lines between these two. MVP continues to just like feel like such a breath of fresh air on a show just full of really bad scripted promos. And, you know, the thing about this entire thing that kind of gets lost is that Cruz has been really stepping up too on the microphone. The man, I think, has been sounding really genuine. He comes at every promo with a great, like, confidence and fire, and, and he sounds natural. So I think he's really stepped up. I like the promo exchange. I like the match, but I hated the finish. I understand why they do it because they want a set of MVP versus Cruz. And the only way they know how to do that is to have the challenger beat the champion in a non-title match. But we're talking MVP here, who at this point is a manager who can wrestle. And you don't have your champion that you're trying to push lose to a manager, even with the distraction finish, especially for a belt that's still struggling to like undo years of negligence. There are other ways to build to matches. You know, you can have it, have the dudes attack MVP after Oh, sorry, have the dudes attack Apollo after Apollo gets the win, and then have Apollo actually demand a match, something like that. But I, I, I hate this. I especially for a guy who's like still very much like, you know, you you have to be very careful with an Apollo Cruz. Yeah, I mean, there's a time you can get away with this stuff. Apollo right now is not in that position, and this is not this is not the program. Like if this were to be Lashley beating him in a non, non-title match. Okay, you can you can see where they're going with that. Lashley is the focus of this program, not MVP, um, the guy that was you know just you know cannon fodder for Drew McIntyre uh, for all those all those weeks. Um, I, w- I was very surprised they went with this, and it was not like this was not as much um, um, like an interference finish. It's like yeah, Lashley like distracted him from the floor, but then he got knocked off balance. Like it was, uh, you know, was fairly, fairly clean by heel standards. Um, mm. And just to me, at most, you're getting a title match on TV out of this, which, you know, it's, um, you know, ultimately it's Cruz Lashley. That's the direction, not MVP. So I didn't really care for this. Lashley attacks him with the full Nelson afterwards. So Ricochet and Cedric run out and they can't break it until Cedric finally hits the Inziguri and Ricochet with a missile drop kick. So even after the MVP win, like all the heat is put on Bobby Lashley after after the fact. And that gets us an impromptu match between Lashley and Ricochet, which consisted of Lashley destroying this guy for what felt like 365 days. And finally, he sets up for the spear. Ricochet collapses. And he fights the full Nelson, and this is where he begins his comeback. He pulls down the rope. Lashley goes to the floor. He leaps off the apron. Lashley catches him and drives him into this poor post. Ricochet comes back with a cabrada. Then Alexander pulls MVP off of the apron. Ricochet's on offense. He blocks a kick. Um, Lashley does. And then slams down Ricochet, applies the full Nelson. And before it's even like fully locked on, Ricochet's tapping at 640 to really get across this full Nelson. And somewhere in all of this, Lashley got busted open from the ear. Him and Orange Cassidy, uh, Mm -hmm. similar injuries here. And he just, this was a fair amount of blood he had all over his chest. And uh, that was it. Pretty much uh, a Lashley destruction segment. 
I thought actually a really good little match, you know? It, like, it, it really picked up. Like once yeah. Ricochet did his comeback, I mean, this guy is, man, there's, there's no one on either roster. They, they've missed more out on than Ricochet, in my opinion. Unfortunately, because he's so good at playing a ragdoll for guys like Lashley, I, I, this will just kind of bolster his role in this level. Because um, he just does way too good of a job at it, uh, but it, you know, also a spectacular comeback from Ricochet. Um, you know, at this point, like Ricochet, a loss like this, he doesn't doesn't move him at all. He can't sink any lower. And you know, <laughs> great showcase for Lashley, who looked like a beast in this match, especially at the end here, blood all over his body, and then that just like feral look on his face as he's stalking his opponent to apply that full Nelson. I think they've just done such a great job with that full Nelson making like a really basic move look like a really devastating finisher. Yeah. Even like the idea that that could have been something you incorporated, like Lashley getting the full Nelson on Apollo Cruz behind the ref's back or something. And it's like, he gets all the credit for MVP's win. It's like, this mm. is the full Nelson that Apollo Cruz can not withstand and put, put all your focus on Lashley. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, they continue to do a really great job with Lashley and MVP being a big part of that. Dolph Ziggler's getting ready with Banks and Bailey. They pretty much make fun of this guy being a geek on SmackDown. And it's it was their show, referring to SmackDown. Don't screw this up for her, Bailey says. So the main event, it's our mixed tag. Bailey is on commentary and informs Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton. In case you don't watch SmackDown, I'm a great commentator. Ziggler hits the Famouser on Drew McIntyre, and Drew kicks out before the count of one. So we're at the point now, it's not even a one count we're giving this guy. He's kicking out before one. Can you kick out even before taking the move? That's the like, next level. Like, what a way to render, like, one of Dolph's moves completely ineffective that you can squeeze one near fall out of for... Uh, a match. At well, the listen, listen. If if MVP pinning Apollo Cruz is going too far, they're going the complete inverted direction with Drew versus Dolph because they are giving Dolph nothing in this match. Like <laughs> Dolph is treated like garbage, completely. He's treated like a joke, and this is the guy who's challenging for his belt. It, it, it's a cold match for me. Like it's I'm so cold. Like I'm sure the match technically will be fine, but my interest in it, it's. Hey, I said let's give them four weeks and see what they did, much like Drew and Lashley. And we've got we've got three more Raws. You're go. going to put MVP with everybody. MVP like, with, with with Dolph. Yes, he needs he needs an MVP. We got two. We got two more, two more Raws before the pay per view. So mm. I don't know. Not not very high um, stipulation or no stipulation. Um. Will, I would note that uh, throughout the commercials, they were plugging this Great American Bash. It felt like every commercial break, it almost felt like. And a very obvious insert during this match of Tom plugging Sasha Banks and Io Shirai, which was interesting because WWE announced that match sometime like late Saturday. And this was done on Saturday. I don't know the exact timing, but... Uh, this was an obvious insert to plug Sasha and Io Shirai, and that was the only time it was mentioned on the show, which is the big match on Wednesday. It's a big match, yeah, and if they want to carry on this momentum that NXT had from last week, I mean, you know, better tell everybody about it. 
Bailey makes a face at Asuka like she's five years old and even makes fun of like Asuka falling for this. Uh, it distracts her. A lot of distractions on this show. Meteora is hit by Banks off the apron. Uh, Drew and Ziggler then receive the tags and Drew's tossing them around with belly to belly suplexes. The future shock gets stopped and then Banks tags in, gets into Drew's face and Asuka is tagged in, hits a head kick. Banks uh, turned around and was hit with this kick. Banks kicks out. Drew is then run into the post. Somehow this ring stayed sturdy for this whole show. Asuka Locke is countered. Banks gets into the bank statement and Asuka breaks free, flying armbar, then to the Asuka Lock. And Banks rolls herself over on top to pin Asuka in 14 minutes, four seconds, pinning the champion. This was a case of, you know, challenger pinning champion that I really enjoyed. I mean, we're talking about Sasha, who is a top level contender and certainly somebody above anybody Asuka has faced thus far in her title run. Um, awesome finish, I thought. And this was ended up being like a great preview of Asuka versus Sasha Banks with little bits of Dolphin Droop peppered in. Like, I see this, and to me, there's no question what should main event extreme rules. You know, there's no question to me what the freshest, most anticipated matchup of that pay per view is. It's Asuka versus Sasha Banks. Uh, and ba- I- Bailey on commentary was chanting main event when the two of them were in there. So, um, yeah. It would not surprise me that they go with with Oscar and Sasha Banks on on this show. God knows you, we, we've learned like you, you can't end with that 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 Wyatt Swamp fight. And that feels for, like a middle of the show type of thing. And for Raw, yeah. this certainly feels like the bigger program than, than Drew and Ziggler. Absolutely, oh, it's, it's no question. Oh my God, like Dolph and Drew, it just I thought they just ex- existed here almost as a way to you know <laughs> obscure Sasha versus. Asuka from being a pay-per-view level match like there were moments here where Drew just like throws Dolph out like he's trash and Dolph feels like no bigger than like he feels like the role that he usually plays which is a setup guy for a bigger opponent for Drew at the pay-per-view except he himself is the is the opponent so this stipulation that they have it better be like pretty damn good because otherwise I don't see this match really gaining any sort of interest. And that was raw like it just went off the air immediately after after the win with the heels celebrating. Uh, and that concluded the show. I think Sasha versus Asuka is in really good shape. I mean, in-ring, their chemistry looked fantastic here. I love the booking and the finish. And, and it's also worth noting how protective they've been of Asuka's losses. In that Nia Jax program, they didn't have Nia Jax pin Asuka once. So to give it to Sasha, who, you know, again, is a very mo- far more serious contender, I think was absolutely the right call, boosts her momentum up a notch, and makes me more excited for that match. So... This Raw overall, you know, certainly throwing aside all the debates about whether or not these shows should even be occurring right now and just talking about the quality of the show, considering the obstacles they were under, I thought they actually pulled together a pretty complete, like, normal feeling three-hour Raw that didn't feel all that off, you know? Uh, Three hours of content, they didn't have to replay any prior matches, like the Boneyard match. Even, like, Andrade and Garza appearing twice... To me, it did feel it felt intentional in that like both finishes kind of played off the other. In the first match, you had Andrade leave, and in the second match, you had Garza leave. So it all made sense. Yeah, I I I feel I feel viewership wise, I think this is going to be down from the prior two weeks. I it, it really felt like Randy Orton has become like the big 
focus of Raw. So I thought his absence was very noteworthy tonight, just not having him on the show for a promo segment or or anything like that. So I think that kind of uh, detracted from it. I, I'm expecting like this this third hour to go down, and I, I just don't. I, I just didn't feel like this show had the the flow of the last two weeks where it was moving quickly. Um, some decent wrestling in here. Like I thought eh, the main event was fine. In particular, the Oscar Sasha stuff was strong in the main event. Ricochet Lashley turned out to be a, a good match as well. Like there was some fine wrestling on the show. Uh, but I think for three hours, it was, um, you know, you, you certainly felt that accumulation of hours. These shows are always tough. And especially, you know, on weeks where I'm sure there was, you know, so much changing at the last minute. Mm-hmm. But but if our form is to be judged you might be right, Sean, because not that much feedback, but we'll read as much as we can. One other uh, news item. WWE is promoting for Wednesday's Great American Bash. Are you ready for this way? Limited yeah. commercial breaks. Oh, boy. Awesome. It's just crazy how just out of nowhere this, this special came together and they're pulling out all, all the stops on this. This of all Wednesdays. <laughs> it's crazy. Do you think do you think they try this hard if like they weren't doing so if the the ratings last week weren't weren't that good? Uh no. I, I think they'd still be pushing this this one hard. I, I think they yeah, were I think so too. Yeah. I, I think just having Fighter Fest, I think they're just going guns blazing. And I, I think they have a realistic shot of you know, competing or even topping Fighter Fest this week. I would uh, a week ago, prior to Wednesday's show, I, I wouldn't have said there was a chance NXT could top fighter fest um and and i still feel like fighter fest is gonna have the edge this week but i think that banks and eo shirai like that that's a big one to play and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see if that has a dramatic effect because that does feel like a a noteworthy match and we'll see if that extends to an overall interest in the entire two-hour show i like how like you know anytime you like nxt has kind of settled on you know being able to create these sort of dream matches that otherwise would mean nothing on a raw or a smackdown but to an nxt crowd like they, even without a, any story at all, Banks versus Shirai kind of like promotes itself. It's the reason I'm still surprised they haven't, and maybe they will at some point of using a ricochet when when they oh, need yeah. him because he Absolutely. would be totally resurrected, going to NXT and just matching him up with a bunch of guys that it's just he's floundering on Raw and he'd be a big he'd be a big difference maker to me on the NXT side where it'd be a lot of great opponents for him and i think he would he would make a difference and they haven't they haven't gone in that direction at all Mm -hmm. okay tonight's uh forum gives this show a 5.55 it gets to pass andrew from cape breton writes so it's a four out of ten show despite some positive things happening but the fact is when you have a massive outbreak of covid19 and you continue to do stupid things that's going to be the main issue i have firstly rick flair I hope he's okay. If this show was taped Saturday, after all those outbreaks, I'm shocked he was kept on the show. Secondly, the masks were fine, but I did notice at the end of the show, Kona Reeves, Rick Bugez, Everrise, and Indy Hartwell removed them at certain points. If I was in charge of WWE after that massive PR disaster, I would have fired all of them so fast their heads would spin. I guess I was frustrated as a lady friend I had over the other night told me about people from Florida somehow getting across the border to live in their summer homes in Cape Breton. We're reopening a lot of things this coming Friday with a 200 indoor max capacity and stuff like what I saw is a lot more frustrating considering what could be done to be successful with this virus and how easy it is to lose. Hope everyone is staying safe. Yeah, with for, again, like I, I, we have to consider, at least I consider how 
big of a step this is compared to what it was just a week ago. Um, I, I'm not necessarily going to shame somebody for removing a mask intermittently throughout the, the day uh, when a week ago they were told reportedly not to wear masks at all. So I, I, I you know, is it perfect? Is it, you know, I, maybe not. At the same time, I, I don't think we should be playing police and saying, Who's not wearing a mask? Who's not wearing a mask? Even though I did kind of joke about it earlier, but um, baby steps. That, that, right. that that's been the story of their progression. Yeah. All right. We got a Paul from New Jersey who says, "Quite the social gathering to kick the show off." I still don't understand Seth's, mo- Seth's modus operandi. I also just don't believe him. Steal the iconic's catchphrase. Get wrecked. I gush over MVP every week, and Apollo has definitely worked on those promos. 5.5. More mixed tags. With Becky and Charlotte out, is there one woman on the Raw roster you would use this time to build up to the next level? Uh, given given both of them gone, I would give a lot of consideration to calling up Rhea Ripley. Because she is dying in NXT. What makes you think she'll be any better in Raw? If anything, she'll be worse off. She will not be feuding with Robert Stone on the main roster. Um, <sighs> I What happened to, to Shayna? Shayna's just disappeared and I mean, wasn't on the show tonight, but I don't know if that's indicative of anything because she, her and Kyrie Sane have not been on for a while. So right. I, I don't know what the stories are with, with those two. Um, I mean, yeah. those are my, probably my two top candidates right now. If you're going to promote somebody to the like, you, you, like you would think if like now would be the time that like Sasha is kind of like to me, like that's an emergency option because she's, she's not SmackDown. She's on SmackDown that, you could have gone to Oscar and Shayna right now, but for whatever reason, like Shayna has not been around. So I don't know what the story is, but yeah. Um, that might be a SummerSlam thing they're saving up. Um, and, you know, Shayna, somebody that you could directly insert into that main event role, or at least like, you know, top challenger role after Sasha. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for the. Oh, beat. and Bianca Belair, as Anthony suggests here at the end. Well, I what mean, her, her? her call up was. was almost botched pretty much immediately. I oh, mean, she was she, called up to the main event. Yeah. By yeah, the, she, I mean the show. Yeah. Her and Ricochet are main eventers. I mean, <laughs> can't get too bent out of shape. Yeah. I mean, she's just like, she's in no man's land because it's like, she's not on NXT. She's not on raw. It's just, just a waste. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, the talent is so strong. There's, so, there's so much talent in that division, but it, it a shame that, like, when we try to think of names, it's like, like, nobody really comes to mind. But. And 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 honestly, like, with the numbers, there are going to be examples of this where it's just people are going to be odd people out on on certain like pay per view cycles, and it's it's going to happen to some people. the The problem is some like a ricochet kind of gets painted with that brush, and that's become his his permanent standing. Like tonight mm-hmm. was like the most we've seen of him and how much of that was just based on necessity that we needed to fill a 10-minute segment and Ricochet was someone we could go to tonight. Could have just as easily been Cedric Alexander in that that spot tonight too. It was like they're almost interchangeable. Like after they introduced them and they were having some buzz as a tag team together and then dropped cold after a few appearances on Raw where you thought they were building up to something and it was really just to lose to the Viking Raiders. It's, it's kind of their role right now. Like, they're enhancement talent, pretty much. 
Okay, so that's going to bring an end to the show. But uh, was it fun? I had so much fun, John. You keep that money. You want to you want to do it all over again? Let's let's start right from the beginning. I'll change all my opinions. Uh no. no okay. Thanks. We will be back on Tuesday night with Ask Away, our mailbag show. We had a very strong Ask Away last month, so I'm um, I'm planning to uh I'm planning to dive into all of the letters with the same energy and vigor that I did last month. Ooh, okay. A lot of questions are up there already. So, uh if you want to get it, get them in last minute, uh you probably have until noon. On Tuesday, but that's forum.postwrestling.com, exclusive for patrons. And yes, Cafe members will get that show Tuesday evening. Free show will be up Wednesday night with Rewind to Dynamite, where all Cafe members are entered into a draw to win a shirt. And we should make mention that it is the end of June, so that means a new month is starting. Duh. And what a great time to sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe, because for $6 a month, it gives you all of our bonus shows, including... Ask Away. We've got a review this month of Spider-Man Far From Home. We've got Rewind Away, including our next one, where it's going to be a review of Lonesome Dove, courtesy of a choice by Jay Hunter from OSW, who will also be joining us. So some exciting stuff in the horizon. And uh, the return of our New Japan Pro Wrestling reviews. As, as that starts ramping up, John and I will be covering the big Osaka shows coming out also this month on the 11th and the 12th. Yes, we're going to be doing a big review uh, after the second Osaka card. That will be a show for cafe members as well on Sunday, July the 12th. That is a packed weekend. We have some busy weekends coming up because that weekend is uh, both New Japan cards in Osaka in front of crowds. UFC 251, that's that's a loaded show. We're going to be doing a post show. And then the next weekend, we've got Slammiversary on a Saturday night and Extreme Rules on the Sunday night. Oh, man. Jeez. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff, but so, uh, a lot of value. So uh, again, everybody, wait till if you're not a member yet, sign up on the first. Just wait till the first Wednesday and then sign up and you won't get charged uh, for June. Yes. Minimum two bonus shows every week and access to the entire library that you can go back and listen to as well. So uh, this commercial advertisement brought to you by postwrestlingcafe.com. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good evening. We'll speak with you Tuesday night.